0: Uh, I hope you've had a lovely summer, uh, particularly uh, if you managed to get away, you had a good uh, family time or whatever you were up to. I uh, hope you had a great time. I am uh, back at work, but uh, I'm an English teacher, and our kids are about to come back next week. And that uh, necessitates my biannual haircut uh, and the recommencing of shaving. Uh, So the next time you see me, I'll be a very different chap. Um, uh, I'm a a teacher, as I said, and so my job is to try to help people to understand things. That is, that's what I do for a living. I kind of try to explain it and then when they look a little bit strangely, I explain it again in a slightly different way and maybe they raise another eyebrow and, and eventually, we kind of muddle our way, generally speaking, to some kind of understanding which allows um, kids to go and do exams and all that kind of things. So the subject that I'm going to speak about today is one which is actually deeply uncomfortable for somebody like me, because it's really about what happens when you don't understand. A, I love understanding things. I love understanding. Them. I I I don't just love understanding things. This is the thing about teachers, and this is why they can very easily slip into the know-all category. Uh, and you, you, we all know people like this, and they're deeply annoying. And in fact, the person that you know that's like this might, in fact, be me. Uh, so <laughs> I don't just like understanding things. I like being the person who understands things well enough to explain them to other people. Um, and so, when I come across things that I, I don't understand or I can't understand, um, despite my best efforts, it, it causes a great deal of frustration. Uh, and, and the story that we're going to look at today is about just this kind of moment where, where somebody who has spent a great deal of time with Jesus and actually, as you know, is towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. So he has spent considerable amounts of time with him. And yet, he still seems to be in this place where he just doesn't understand. Um, and, and maybe, you know, I don't know how long um, you've been walking with Jesus or if you aren't yet walking with Jesus and, and are considering that as an option, uh, but I guess my experience of walking with Jesus is that that feeling never really goes away, yeah. um, which is one of the annoying things <laughs> about God, but also one of the wonderful things. So, we're, we're going to be reading from John chapter 13. Uh, It's it's quite a well-known story, so I'm sure you may well have come across it before, and then I'll just say a few things uh, about it, which may help us, uh, hopefully will help us. Uh, So I'm going to read from uh, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God... Rose from the supper. The supper in question is commonly referred to as the Last Supper. So we are right at the end, as I say, of, of Jesus' earthly ministry. So you, I mean, you would have thought that they would be getting it by now. Turns out that's not the case. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now. I guess Peter gave him that look like some kids give me. Uh, You don't understand now. Uh... But afterwards, you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Don't you just love them? Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. But he washed their feet and put on his, out, on his outer garments and resumed his place. And he said to them, I mean, don't you just love Jesus? He said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Clearly, no. Clearly, the answer is they don't. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash another, one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your amazing Bible, Lord, and for these incredible stories that have come down to us through the centuries and that wouldn't have come down to us had your Holy Spirit not inspired people to write them down and preserve them, sometimes at incredible cost to themselves, sometimes at the pain of their very lives being taken away from them. They they preserve this incredible record of your earthly ministry that we might be able to to learn from it today. But we know, Holy Spirit, that it is you breathing on your words and making it flesh again in our lives that causes the transformation. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, come to us right now. Open our eyes and help us to better walk with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the, the first thing that we notice from this passage is that the inability to cope with a lack of understanding can keep us from God's purposes from our lives for our lives. And that is that is hugely important. That because we don't understand something it can actually prevent us entering in from the thing that God has for us. In verse 8, Peter says, You shall never wash my feet. do yeah. so you just love it? Like two verses later, he's washing his feet. But nevertheless, <laughs> I mean, I wonder if you've ever said something like that to God. I will <laughs> never Or or even worse, you shall never <laughs> but there is there is some anguish in this. You can see the struggle within Peter to go with Jesus to a place where he doesn't understand. And Pete, this struggle is actually the struggle that is common to to all of us because it is the urge towards independence. I mean, think about it, he's initially refusing to accept, to allow Jesus to serve him. I mean, the same tension is apparent in Peter, actually, all the way through the Gospels. It's apparent when he, he says to Jesus, just after he tells him that he, he believes that he is the Christ, uh, he tells him that he can't possibly go to Jerusalem and die for the world. Um, and, then, and then, not long after, this incident that we read about where, where Jesus washes his feet, you know, there they are in the garden. The Roman soldiers show up to arrest Jesus, and Peter whips out the sword, chops a guy's ear off. Um, hard to see how that would help in that particular situation. <laughs> but, but it's the same thing. It's, it's the same difficulty that is going on within him. For yes, I love Jesus, and yes. I'm following you, but when I don't understand, I want to take up the sword, as it were. Take matters into my own hands and sort this out for myself. In one level, this is entirely reasonable and entirely understandable. Um, there's, there's an amazing... Uh, book that I've read recently about uh, the All Blacks rugby team. Uh, And one of the traditions that the All Blacks have in their rugby team, one of the things I think that makes them so great, is that they always leave their changing rooms spotlessly clean. They have this, this, this ethos, nobody clears up after the All Blacks. We take responsibility for our own stuff which is laudable and amazing. And I thought about this, and I thought about what it must be like to to be um, a young man who has maybe followed the All Blacks their whole childhood, and they've looked up to the great players, you know, the, the kind of 100 cap guys in the All Blacks, and I suppose the greatest player of our era was a guy called Richie McCaw, who won two World Cups as captain of the All Blacks. He was, he's the most capped All Black of all time. What it must be like to have been a young boy, growing through school, playing rugby, dreaming about being an All Black one day, and looking up to this great man, Richie McCaw, who embodies everything in a sense that you want to be. And then a day comes where you get picked To play for that team and you, you run your heart out during the game and you play well and then it comes to after the game and you're in the changing room and this great man that you have almost worshipped your entire life picks up a broom and starts to sweep the floor around your feet. What would that do to you as an 18-year-old? I think what it would do to me is there is no way that he is clearing up for me. I mean, you would be fighting him over the broom. (laughs) There's no way you're clearing up for me. And that's actually how it works. That's how they get everybody to clear up because that is how they feel. I can't let you do this, so we'll all do it. And I think some, some of that must have been in Peter. There's no way I'm allowing this to happen. Yeah. There's no way you're going to clear up for me. You know, you are the one Jesus who made the dust. You're not clearing it off my feet. Yeah. Yeah. You've done your job. I'll do mine. You know, you're the one who breathed on the dust and made a, a human. You're not washing it off my feet you're not taking the place of a where a slave would be in this culture and yet Jesus says that if Peter doesn't allow this he has no part in him and we see in these moments in Peter's life where he lacks understanding and he takes things into his own hands and he struggles to trust Jesus, the stakes are incredibly high. The moment where Peter says to Jesus, you can't go to Jerusalem and die for the world, that provokes an unbelievably strong rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus says to him, What about when he draws the sword in Gethsemane, and chops off the ear? Peter, put your sword away. Whoever lives by the sword will die by the sword. Incredibly serious moments in Peter's life and for us. The reality is that if Peter could not accept Jesus washing his feet, Jesus knew he would not be able to accept him dying for him on the cross. And on closer inspection, this independence that is in Peter and is in all of us is really just pride. And that is really just idolatry. You see, when we let our understanding rule, Jesus is not on the throne. You are. When our capacity to understand is the limit of our journey in God, then God will always end up looking like us. We will make a God in our own image. And this is idolatry. One of the interesting things about idolatry in the Bible is that it is often not just condemned, but ridiculed. It's kind of like, idolatry is silly. It's kind of stupid. It It looks strange. And you get this with Peter. You know, try... Trying to seem like you know what you're talking about when you don't yeah. will always make you look silly. Yes. Always. And, that, and that's, that's Peter, isn't it? You know, you're not washing my feet. Okay, wash all of me. <laughs> he looks daft and, and, and that is that is always the way of it. I don't know if you saw a film a few years ago that came out called Interstellar, an amazing film for the first two hours, the last hour, ridiculous, ridiculous, it's a film that deals with amazingly, I mean the biggest subjects you can possibly um, deal with, infinity and is there a God and what are we doing here and the first two hours have you absolutely on the edge of the seat. And then because the director can't live with mystery, the last hour just becomes ludicrous. (laughs) (laughs) It becomes a bit silly. Isn't it interesting that when we lack understanding, what we are afraid of is looking silly. And yet creating answers from our own head that make sense to us are the very thing, in fact, that makes us really daft. <laughs> so true. But it is, a big, it is a big deal. What's interesting also about this passage is that understanding often follows Obedience not the other way around. That's annoying. (laughs) I wish that wasn't the case, but it is. And the question that somebody with my kind of brain asks is, why? And the best I can do is this, because this requires trust and faith. Because you see, God is looking for partnership with you. He wants to work with you. He actually wants, he wants to work with you. He doesn't, more than he wants you to work for him. There's an amazing story in Acts 16 where Paul and Silas are locked in a jail and they're, in big trouble, possibly facing execution. And God does an extraordinary miracle. There's an earthquake, the doors fly open, they get out, the Philippian jailer who's there comes to faith, his whole family come to faith, they all get baptized. And then there's this little verse right at the end where it says that the jailer took Paul and Silas home and bathed their wounds and you can miss it but I read that story once and I thought what (laughs) God does does an earth has I mean an extraordinary miracle there's an earth an actual earthquake the doors fly open mass salvation how hard would it have been to just include a wee bit of healing I mean, I mean, it's like, it's like we're 99% of the way there. (laughs) What happened? Here's what I think happened. God wants partnership. And so he often will just leave a little for you to do. He's looking to work with us more than he wants us to work for him. Do you know, I feel like I'm on a journey to try, I feel like I've been on a journey for years trying to learn this, this lesson, but there are people in, that I know of, people in this church family who model this, I think, incredibly well. People who run businesses, who you know, at the kind of cutting edge of kind of creativity and design. And, and, and their whole business model, really, is dependent upon God speaking to them. They re, in a very real and authentic and meaningful way, they are walking by faith in their business. They're making day-to-day decisions based on what they feel God is saying to them. That's the kind of partnership that God wants. You see, often, rather than partnership, what we do is we swing bet- between extremes. We swing between kind of independence, I'm doing this myself. And then when that doesn't work, complete abdication. Okay, God, you do it then. You know, it's, it's the pr- and the problem with this is that actually both of these extremes are are, exact, are positions of disconnection. You know, it's like a kid before an exam. You know, work, you know, either kind of working really, really hard. Oh, I've got to get oh, this has got to be right, got to be right. Or the kid who does absolutely nothing just before they walk into the exam. Lord, all the formula, no. Do you know what I mean? I was definitely the latter kid when I was at school. <laughs> and and, and what, what's happening in these moments is not really so much that kid who's kind of doing that, they're not, they're not kind of praying a prayer as, as the New Testament would know it. They're almost actually saying a kind of spell, yes. which is interesting, isn't it? And the difference is this that a prayer is about connection and relationship. It's about a conversation. Whereas a spell attempts to command an impersonal and actually mysterious and unknowable force. And sometimes I think these two positions of disconnection are actually pre- predicated upon a misunderstanding of God's character. Sometimes I think of God like my primary school art teacher. I wonder if you had a primary, art school, te- primary school art teacher like me. What, my primary school art teacher, I would just spend, you know, I mean, it felt like hours, it was probably seconds, <laughs> coming up with this beautiful painting. And I would desperately hope that my art teacher wouldn't come round to my group. Because invariably when she did, she would grab a crayon and say, very good, Philip, but, and then scribble all over my work. And she would walk off thinking she had greatly improved it. And I would think, it's not mine anymore. And sometimes... This is what we think God is like. We think, actually, his interventions will be so intrusive and so overwhelming that actually we kind of want it to be, to be ours. And yet when we unravel that and realize... God made us. He made us with talents and abilities. He made us with passions and desires of our hearts. We realize that God, God's role is to release these things and help us to be more fully the people that he made us to be. You see, I don't think Peter at Pentecost, you know, I don't think the Holy Spirit zapped him and he suddenly just knew a complete chapter of the prophet Joel. You know, I don't think that's what happened. I I think he actually memorized that through study. I think he was pouring over the scriptures probably in the 40 days after Jesus was resurrected and thinking, wow, I can't believe this. This is awesome. And then in the moment, yes, the spirit came upon him. But it's that amazing combination of spirit and dust creating life. The third thing to say about this passage is that Jesus wants to engage us in a process through which we gain understanding. This is absolutely vital. Some of us, like me, are desperately uncomfortable with the thought that we don't understand things. But some of you are much more relaxed. You're like, yeah, whatever, I don't understand anything. Who cares? And I marvel at you as being so comfortable in your ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating that, yes, Jesus pushes peter beyond the point of his understanding and almost immediately after that he asks them them all do you understand what i just did for you do you understand you see understanding is tremendously important because as jesus goes on to say you know what i've done for you i want you to do for others And guess what? You're not going to be able to do that unless you've understood what I've done for you. Understanding is tremendously important in the Christian walk. Tremendously important. It's just not the most important thing. And sometimes I think in Christianity, there's a kind of I think it's a reaction to the enlightenment and kind of, that's what I suppose what post-modernity is. But, but we've ended in this place where we're kind of, it's almost an anti-intellectualism. Yeah. You know, where it's actually, it's great to know, we can almost brag about the stuff we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, wow, there's, there's lots to know. <laughs> there's lots to know. And knowing it, Is awesome because it helps us to do what Jesus did. He wants to engage you. Jesus wants to engage you in a process where your understanding grows. Jesus is the light of the world. You know, He's not trying to keep you in darkness. In uncertainty, his heart is to bring you into his counsel. No longer do I call you servants, Jesus says, for a servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends, because everything I have heard from the Father, everything I have heard from the Father, I have revealed to you. I don't know about you, I'm not sure I've got hold of everything Yet. Everything I've heard from the Father, I've revealed to you. Understanding is necessary to build and to pass on and to disciple. And actually, the reason for that is right at the end. Verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Understanding, and this is where often things go dreadfully wrong in the church. Understanding should not be separate from action. It is not tenable to believe in the gift of speaking in tongues and not eagerly desire it. It's not tenable to believe in prophecy, and not actively seek it. It's not tenable to believe that Jesus can heal and wants to heal and not pray for the sick. These are not tenable positions because understanding and action are supposed to be together. If you know these things, says Jesus, blessed are you if you do them. I suppose in the end, to bring this into land, the key verse, which is a verse I've been thinking a lot about for a long time, since actually Andy Fulton spoke really insightfully on it, and that was probably about two years ago, is Proverbs 3.6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight." The word that is often translated acknowledge is yade, which, if you put it into Microsoft Word, will always autocorrect as a Yamaha. <laughs> I've discovered. You see, we're growing in our understanding. Yeah. <laughs> the Hebrew word you day, And this word, you see, the word acknowledge is almost slightly archaic. You know, it's like, I'm acknowledge- You know, when you walk into a room, you acknowledge someone. Hello. <laughs> you may raise an eyebrow. Um, I don't know if you're letting like me, but... In my work, you know, I pass the same people in the corridor sometimes five or six times a day. And you wonder, how many times do we have to keep acknowledging each other? <laughs> when is, the, when is, the, when is the, the agreed time at which we can just walk past each other? Sure. But, you know that, but you know that kind of acknowledgement. Yep. Right? Yeah. Acknowledge. And because of the use of that word in this, this, this verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lead not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. Yep. yep. just get on with this. Right. Can that be what it means? No. No, because the Hebrew word that's used for acknowledge is Yaday. And that means... Knowing something or someone intimately, actually a better translation would be in all of your ways, know him, know him in everything you in, in everything that you do in your life, know him, know him with you, know him alongside you in all of your emotions, and confusions, and feelings, and wonderings, and doubts, and and dreams, and will this, if you can know him, if you can let him know you in these moments, then the promise of the proverb is that he will make your paths straight. And what is a straight path? but one on which the King of glory can come. Not just to your own life, but to the lives of those around you. A voice cries in the wilderness, Isaiah 40 says, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. In the prayer that Jesus prayed just before he went to the cross for you, he said that the glory that he had received from the Father he had given to you. And if we can know him in all that we do, in all our lack of understanding and doubts and missteps and uncertainties in life, then guess what? The glory of the Lord that was revealed in you can be revealed to the world. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. God, I thank you that you are bigger than our capacity to understand you. Amen. Lord, thank, thank you, Jesus, that you are all together beyond. We would never have invented a God like you, Jesus. <laughs> we would never have done it Lord but you are the saviour we needed and God I thank you Lord that your magnificent work of grace through your life, death and resurrection Lord that continues to defy our understanding happened in spite of that And Lord, that we can live in the good of it in spite of the fact we don't understand it. And God, help us to know you in every moment of our lives, in every misunderstanding, in every moment where we lack understanding, in every confusion, in every moment where we pray for someone and they don't get healed, in every moment of celebration where we feel we understand it and yet we later discover we don't, Lord, help us to know you and to trust you and to understand that all of this is rooted in the fact that you are good and your character is good and just and right and holy. We love you, Lord. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.